Bruce Lawn. It's time to address the elephant in the room. I don't like making videos like this. I'm not going to make this video about a specific person because there's been quite a few people, uh, many of which I consider friends, acquaintances, colleagues that have recently renounced Christianity. There's one prominent one that a lot of you guys have asked me to chime in on. I did initially on a Patreon side of the chat. If you want to hear my like raw thoughts, you could hear them over on Patreon. This is a bit more put together and is going to be answering the question, why do people leave the faith, is going to provide us some Bible verses and is going to give us some application points on what do we do to preserve our faith? How do I look at faith? All of these different things. So I think you're going to find immense value from this video. I think this is, in my opinion, one of the most important videos that I've ever made and am going to make. Let's jump into it. Now, some of you guys don't know. I'm I'm 37. I'm a bit older. Some of you guys look and you're like, yo, you know, the baby face. He looks great for 37. I'm 37. So it means I've been around for a couple decades in this Christendom space, in this in Christianity, in Christian hip hop. I came to faith uh, in the early 2000s. I do not have a specific moment where boom, I was not saved and then I was saved. It, it, it was a, a ton of moments. It was me raising my hand every week at a seeker search. It was me surrendering. It was me getting plugged into a life group. And long story short, I got into doing Christian music. And what I found in Christian music, specifically Christian hip hop, is at the time there was this monopoly and this train of thought that locked down a specific approach, methodology, and theology to who was and isn't in the, in, 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 in the sense of Christian music. And that approach took a very academic slant towards the scriptures, towards the faith, so on and so forth. And so I, early on in the faith, didn't rap theology raps. I still don't rap theology rap, but there was a movement that came out, and that is what they were on. To the point where there was a, a almost a visceral reaction to anyone who didn't rock the way that these folks wanted you to rock. Okay, it didn't just affect me personally. It also affected my mentors or my big brothers in the faith because there was this sense of if you don't do it our way, if you don't do it the way we run it, then you're out or you aren't really quite as mature as we are, or you don't really got the 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 the, the wisdom to be rocking rock, rock the mic, right? And it, and it, in this approach, it fit very well to serve the Christian consumer. It fit very well in the Christian festivals. It fit very well because it was safe and because it was explicitly and overtly Christian. Yet all along, brothers that wanted to do something a little different and the technology hadn't arrived yet, brothers that wanted to rock in clubs and reach non-Christians with their art as Christians were kind of pushed out on the outskirts, maybe not directly by the originators of this movement, but indirectly by some of their... Ah, minions, if we shall say, okay? And that culminated to, again, a very academic approach to the scriptures. And now, as we look back, um, my brothers who mentored me and discipled me are still walking with Jesus, and they're still active in the faith. And we've seen some brothers go through some trials and tribulations. We've seen other brothers uh, completely deconvert. And we've seen other brothers deconstruct and, and reconstruct something that looks slightly different than the academic, rigid version of Christianity that many of us have seen. And all along, uh, as I was developing, I found myself 
pressing into the scriptures, not drinking, not smoking, uh, not fornicating, reading through the Bible every year. And yet for some reason, because we didn't hold to these thousand points of Calvinism and this presuppositional covenantal apologetics approach where every single thing needs a systematic answer, we were somehow deemed as the lukewarm Christians. But what I found, and especially recently, is that there seems to be a pattern with the type of folks that are deconverting and walking away. And so I'm going to go through why I think many people deconstruct from Christianity. And I'm not, and and, and by the way, hear me loud and clear. There's a big difference between saying, I don't identify with what Christianity has became in the West with some of the, uh, the the political overtones and, and, and some of the hyper-conspiracy theory stuff. There's a huge difference between saying, I don't identify with that versus I reject global historical Christianity and the message of Jesus, okay? So I'm empathetic to anybody that says, hey, listen, man, I don't really rock with like this version of Jesus that wears a MAGA flag and like rides around with an AK-47, right? I'm making a character, but like, I'm not mad at folks to say, I struggle with identifying with this version of Christianity. Okay. Now, the, now, now, now those people that completely say, I am no longer Christian. I don't, this is, this is where I'm, I'm going to get into here. Okay. And so I got to shout out my brother, True Idea Apologetics, because he, he, he gave me some gems. I was watching a stream uh, with him the other day. And, and some of this stuff I gleaned from him, I went and did some more research, but I want to talk about the types of knowledge and information that we possess and, 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 and what philosophers say there are three types of knowledge. Okay. So let me just break this down real quick. The three types of knowledge. Okay. The first type of knowledge is a propositional or explicit knowledge. Okay. That's the first type of knowledge. The second type of knowledge is procedural or implicit knowledge. And the third type of knowledge is experimental or tacit knowledge. And again, I, I gleam this from a stream that my brother Adam Coleman from True ID Apologetics was doing. He's one of the co-authors of Urban Apologetics with Dr. Eric Mason. And so I got to shout him out for this because this got, got my wheels spinning in regards to this conversation. So let's just go over these real quick and why these are important. So propositional or explicit knowledge. What is that? Okay, this is when you need a systematically document the information. Okay, this is a very textbook approach. This is in writing. Okay, this is something that 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 uh, approaches things with the FAQ or instructions. Okay, so 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 think of like facts and figures. This is also very data driven. Okay, this is propositional or explicit knowledge. If you're following along, you're going to know where I'm going to get to in just a second. So that's the first type of knowledge: propositional or explicit knowledge. Think of very academic, data driven, facts driven in writing. You need an answer. You got to dot every I, you got to cross every T. Propositional knowledge. Okay. The second type of knowledge is procedural knowledge or implicit knowledge. Okay. Explicit knowledge applied. This is when you know something, but you don't just know it here. You can then go and act. See, somebody can know music theory, but it's completely different to know music theory and sit down and play the piano or sit down and play the piano and write their own song. Okay. So this is procedural implicit knowledge. Explicit knowledge applied. Now you got learned skills or know-how. This is now skills applied, okay? Procedural knowledge is different than the first types of knowledge. 
This is wisdom. This is why I'm so obsessed with Proverbs, okay? This is, this is knowledge applied, wisdom. And the last part is that it's uh, attached to problem solving. So you're taking something you know and you're able to infuse it and use it to problem solve, procedural or implicit knowledge. And the last kind of knowledge is more of an experimental or tacit knowledge. This is informal but personal. This is I know your face and identity, but... It's not a just I know facts about you. See, some of you guys may know facts about me, and you may know that I'm 37. You may know where I live. You may know, uh, well, hopefully you don't know where I live. (laughs) You may know my name. You may know... Uh, you, you may know what state I'm in. You may know that I like music. You may know that I've been married, right? And so this is an informal knowledge, but, 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 but it's different when Ray Rock knows me and I know him. This is, a, that, that's a diff, right? Ray Rock's in the chat. We know each other. I know him. We, we know each other. So you may know something about someone, but they, not, may not, they may not know you, okay? So where you get into tacit knowledge is this is now becoming more personal, alive. This, this, this is internal, okay? Understood without being said. Okay, this is this is this is just understanding and it's without necessarily needing to state the facts. Right. And this is learned over time. You learn your spouse over time. You learn the relationship over time. You learn your friends over time. And tacit knowledge is usually shown through emotional intelligence, whereas the first type of knowledge is shown through uh, intelligence, IQ. This is more shown through EQ or emotional intelligence, meaning you know how to navigate certain situations and, and, and give this type of knowledge. This type of knowledge is, is, is caught and not just taught. So why am, I, why am I saying this? Why are we talking about this? With these three types of knowledge, what I'm realizing, and this is my opinion, this is my opinion, is when I hear people say they're leaving the faith, very seldom do I hear them saying, I'm walking away from Jesus or I don't believe Jesus to be who he once was for me in real time, okay? There, it's usually, not all the time, but specifically with this recent instance, it's usually a academic approach to why they're leaving the faith. It's a Western propositional explicit way of needing to know all the answers to all the questions so that you can, you can be able to navigate systematically. It's, it's, it's based on an explicit propositional knowledge. But here's the issue, friends. In order to have a thriving relationship with Jesus, hear me loud and clear, it cannot just be about the facts. It cannot just be academic. It cannot just be, I know my systematic theology book. I've read all the apologists. That is important. We need to know the basics of the gospel. We need to sit and read through the scriptures. You need to know the academic side, but it also needs to transition from the academic side into the procedural where you're now living out this stuff. You're living out this stuff and not just living it out because there's a lot of non-Christians that are living out Christian principles. Okay, but you have to go from just living it out to knowing the person of Jesus in an intimacy that only someone that's been intimate with Jesus can understand. When when, when you know the person of Jesus 
in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a way that's deeper than just explicit in a way that's deeper than just, yeah, I applied the ways of Jesus, but is more personal and is more connected to, to, to the very fabric of who you are. It revolutionizes everything. Right. And I'm not saying I'm not speaking that 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 everyone who deconstructs the faith or walks away from the faith doesn't know Jesus. That's that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, generally speaking, what I'm hearing is that it's these these big questions, these hard questions. I'm going to get into some of these hard questions. I'm going to give you some resources for these hard questions, by the way. So just keep watching with me. But the need to have an answer for everything was nothing was not something that Jesus promised us. And it was not something that the scriptures promised us. What the scriptures promised us is that there's this upside down kingdom that God came to redeem or buy back his people that we get to participate in, that heaven and earth come close and that we may thrive in covenantal relationship with this Jesus. And so that it's all the above. It's all the above. You need to know the the basic facts of the gospel and the scriptures. You need to, you need to apply them. (laughs) you need to not keep doing the same stupid things you've been doing because they're causing you harm and they're offending a holy God. And you also need to know what it's like to be intimate with the father. And so what you notice is that folks tend to rock way too heavy with one of these three areas that tend to walk away from the faith. On one of the end of the spectrum, you have some of the hyper charismatic folks. They're all about the experience. It's all about what God told them to do. Right. And on the other end of the spectrum, you have what you have folks that it's all academic. It's all what I learned at my seminary and what I did and how I know. Right. It tends to be these types of extremes and friends. You don't need to be extreme about one type. You need to be balanced and approach life this way. Imagine if in your marriage, all you knew about your spouse was facts. Well, my wife's hair is, is black and her eyes are brown and she's, she's five foot four and she likes ice cream, right? But I never took that information and did anything to accommodate her and bless her and, and, and to live the way that she would want me to live, right? And imagine if, if I did all those things, but I didn't slow down and spend time with her. And enjoy her company and enjoy her presence. This is where some of y'all academic goofballs, y'all be missing me when y'all just try to dunk on every single person that believes that God can speak and God can heal and God can move and God can transform us from the inside out. And God can give us words of knowledge and God can reveal reveal himself in ways that's not just in the scriptures, though anything God reveals to you will be confirmed through the scriptures. In the same way we would approach any relationship, we have to approach our our faith that way. We have to approach it. it's, It's not just about facts, though facts are important right? It's not just about applying the facts, though that's important. You also got to be willing to press in and have relationship and time and intimacy. I had a conversation with, 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 my, with my therapist about this, <clears throat> Dr. Rudy, and we have a whole Master My Habits course. If you guys want to check out, kind of get to know who my therapist is at mastermyhabits.com, we put together a, a, a course for people that are struggling with addiction and they don't have mental health resources necessarily. So we put together a course telling you my journey with addiction, this whole thing, mastermyhabits.com. And Dr. Rudy, we were having this conversation a couple months ago and we were talking about why do people leave the faith? Why do people deconvert? What is that psychologically that happens? And he defined it as this term called a schema. And a schema is when you see something, your brain has a schema of what it is so that you don't have to 
like process all the information at once. I'll give you an example. If you see a chair, you know that that chair is for sitting down on and not attempting to lay down on and take a nap. Right. You can't get because you just be off balance. Right. So you see a chair and your brain does the processing for you. You say, okay, that's a chair. And the schema has already made up all the information in your brain. So you know what that is without without having to do any more thinking in the same way. Events in our lives can create new schemas. And when something traumatic happens, when, when something is a letdown, when something hurts you greatly, when someone hurts you greatly, your brain will develop a new schema of everything attached before that said information, that, that, that said event, and everything attached after, okay? This isn't my original idea. This is coming from a clinical uh, therapist, okay? So, so what happens is with some people is they then have a, 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 a negative experience, a hurtful experience, a traumatic experience, something really happens to them. And now what, what all the intimacy they may have had before, all the things they, they, they experienced with the joy of the Lord, that schema has fractured it. And now everything they're looking at before the situation, they see different through the schema. Their, their vision is altered, so they don't see all the, 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 the joy they had of following Jesus and everything that was here because now the schema is changing everything they see in the peripheral. Your relationships could be the same way. You might have had a really tight bond with a friend back in high school, and y'all fell out and something happened, and you're like, what happened? How do we reconcile this? And, 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 but, but in their mind, they were hurt so badly that that schema, they process everything through that one time you let them down. It's not necessarily your fault or their fault. This is just how our brain brains form new schemas. Okay. So what happens with some folks is that they experience hurt. They experience something traumatic. They come across something they don't, they don't like the answer to. They don't get it. It's inconsistent. It's incongruent. And so now everything is viewed through that schema. Okay. And again, I'm not talking about any one specific person in particular, but in light of all the social tension, in light of all the, the, the things that have happened in the last decade, there's been a lot of hurt attached to this. Now, now they, 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 they see things differently. It's not, it's not, it's not a logical conversation because the schema has changed their perspective on things. So this is Matthew chapter nine. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Throughout Jesus' entire ministry, we see this pattern emerge. We see this pattern emerge where the Pharisees or the academics or the very logical people consistently keep approaching Jesus and saying, hey, you're, at, you're acting out of pocket. And Jesus is telling them, listen, a, a, a physician doesn't come to those who are well. You think you're well. A physician comes to those who are sick. And then he says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. In many of our approaches, if we can get back to the basics of what Jesus consistently presented, exemplified, and demonstrated on this side of eternity, it is by far one of the most beautiful, incredible stories in any form of literature, and what makes it even doper, according to guys like C.S. Lewis, is that it's true, 
Okay, so it's not about I need you to 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 to, to do more sacrifices and I need you to read more books and I need you to, uh, to get more head knowledge. It's the gospel should compel you to be more merciful. Why? Because God is merciful. The gospel should compel you to not be afraid of people who are sick and are going through it. Why? Because Jesus pressed into those relationships. The gospel should compel you to love your neighbor as yourself, not discard and dismiss people who are going through different times, different situations, and maybe sinning differently than we do or once have. The gospel should propel us to love God and love people. That 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 is what it's all been simplified to. And so I want to go into some of the 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 the, the hard the hard quote unquote questions. You don't understand. I read this and this messed me up and this jacked me up. Okay, so here's some 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 resources that I want you guys to go check out. Those of you guys that are struggling with your faith, those of you guys that are wrestling with your faith, here's some hard resources. There's a channel called Unbelievable, and they host debates between different Christians and sometimes Christians and non-Christians. And I'm going to play a clip to, to, to at the end of this to kind of glue this whole thing together. But here's a great debate that everybody needs to go check out. Jeff Durbin versus Andy Stanley. Jeff Durbin versus Andy Stanley. Check this out, and this is them arguing about unhitching uh, the the Old Testament from the New Testament. Really, they're getting into presuppositional apologetics versus classical apologetics. I'm going to give you guys another great resources from the Unbelievable channel. Here's another one. James White versus William Lane Craig. This right here, Molinism versus Calvinism, this right here will, will address all the different perspectives of the the origins of evil and and free will is it is it all determined do we have right and and, and why am i telling you guys this I'm telling you guys this because when you look at these different resources, when you when you genuinely sit down and hear folks within Christendom dis- discuss and debate these conversations, what you'll walk away with is going, huh? Yeah, I I could I could see that. I, I, I could see that. That was that was actually that's pretty cool. Yeah, and you know, uh, reform theology, Calvinism, free will. Uh, yeah, I mean. William Lane Craig lays out some good points, and Soteriology 101 lays out some good points, and James James Wright has some interesting ideas. So when someone's trying to hit me with the trick to Christian question, oh, what about the origins of evil? I'm like, you know we've been debating this for like thousands of years, right? Go listen to all the different perspectives Christians have on the uh, uh, origins of evil, the atonement, the wrath of God, all these different things. There's, there's, there's so many different perspectives that Christians are debating. If you have a hard question, odds are it's already been debated and it's already been challenged. And, and there's a wide spectrum of views not just one view, and if you don't like this one academic view, well, then you need to throw out the baby with the bathwater. The resurrection of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus is ultimately what it needs to come down to, right? And the resurrection of Jesus is, is, is validated by these folks who had nothing to gain from Jesus rising or not rising. Matter of fact, they had everything to lose, yet non-Christians... And non-Christian scholars unanimously agreed that the disciples literally believed that Jesus bodily rose from the grave. They believed that to the point where it cost them everything. They had nothing to gain from it. If anything, they had persecution to gain. It wasn't popular to be a Christian in that context. And so the claims 
of these people is where a lot of the, the, the evidence, if you will, for the resurrection comes in. So let me show you guys another video. This is from Unbelievable Today, and I, th I think this might bless you. So this is an atheist, and I watch this stuff all the time. Like, So my, my faith is not threatened. I'm willing to hear out all these different perspectives because the way this is answered, I think, is so brilliant. So check this out. This is a, this is uh, Jonathan. I think you say his name is Pierce. He uses this illustration. Check this out, and then, and then I'll leave you guys with one final thought. Right. So let's say this is the resurrection of Jesus. I look at this and say, right, the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus is very, very, very small, very low value indeed. So if I was to believe the claim that Jesus resurrected, I would need to fill up my pint glass with a lot more stuff. And that would require me to fill it up with faith, uh, motivated reasoning, biases, uh, stuff like, you know, heaven and hell. So that this tiny sliver of orange cordial takes up three quarters of the glass. So you see what he's saying? He's saying, hey, there's a glass and in this glass, there is some evidence for the resurrection. There's just not enough for me as an atheist to believe that it's literal. And in order for me to place faith in Jesus, I need the glass to be more full with more evidence and more claims. But I look at the Gospels and that's how I value it. He looks at the Gospels and he will evaluate the evidence as being three quarters of the glass. So the question is, really today, what we need to be talking about is, what are we bringing to the table that means that our evaluations of both the claim and same for the resurrection so what do we bring into the table and how can we meet in such a way that we start understanding each other and start having maybe a benchmark for for how we arrive at our our worldviews and our background knowledge right for sure i think jonathan and i have different priors for something like the resurrection we can discuss i think a bit later how we assess the priors because i think that we assess the priors in different ways i don't see beliefs as binary right either you believe it or you don't but more as a confidence level right you, you have different confidence levels and you might justify confidence in a belief at say 90 percent versus 95 percent and so forth and that will that that can be um quantified or, or assessed determined by a Bayesian calculus so he said i don't view beliefs as binary but as confidence levels okay so he's saying look there's there's only limited evidence and he's saying okay i don't look at it as a yes or no i'm looking at it as a spectrum i'm looking at and on the spectrum of all the evidence presented with regards to the claims of the early church with with what history testifies with why we believe the new testament documents are reliable with with, with believing that first of all there is a god because creation and, or, or intelligent design or whatever you want to call it set these things in motion and if the same god that created the heavens and the earth surely he can rise a man from the grave when you factor in all of these different things when you factor in all of that, the confidence level is way further on the spectrum of, yeah, I think Jesus bodily rose from the grave. I think he literally rose from the grave. And I think there's enough confidence there to substantiate that from history, from the evidence that the New Testament documents were reliable. And I think that becomes the crux of the conversation, not all of these other things. Well, what about the wrath of God? Well, what about predestination? Well, what about hell? Well, what about LGBT? Well, what about this? Well, what about that? Well, what, it's like, listen, let's get back to the resurrection. Did Jesus literally rise from the grave? I think there's more than enough evidence in the claims to make a confident statement that that is true. And then the rest of it is funneled through that. The last resource I would say for, for a lot of us is check out the one-year Bible. So many Christians haven't read through the scriptures. So many Christians haven't read through the New Testament. This is laid out brilliantly. It's a bit of the Old Testament, a bit, a bit of the New Testament, a Psalm and a Proverb every day. It takes about 10, 15 minutes to jump through this whole thing. <clears throat> so many of us haven't read it. Read through it. 
We've been talking about, oh, or the origins of evil and predestinate. Like, this has been going on. I am not threatened by anybody else walking away from the faith because my faith doesn't hinge on anybody else, right? Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Work out my, my salvation. Why? Because God is working in me. Okay? So we, we could talk about all the different types of knowledge, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, we need to have a healthy balance of all the different types of knowledge. And then here's the last proverb I would leave you guys with, Proverbs 25, 2. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. So there are some things that God conceals, and we won't may, may not know on this side of eternity. So I consistently get criticized, ridiculed, because I do not hold this, 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 this harsh, staunch, a uh, thousand point whatever faith that's academic and all these different things and that I've been hey man I'm certain about a few things I'm very confident about a few things there's a lot of stuff I, I just don't know not because I haven't studied because I have and I'm like ah I don't know I don't know here's what I do find ironic and this is again not speaking about any one specific person because a lot of brothers that are going through this process I consider friends and acquaintances but what I do find ironic is that when people were were, were, were so dogmatic and what we call some of these non-essential secondary beliefs and then as they deconvert they become equally dogmatic about trying to justify their deconversion and all the new things they think they know because what you really did is you just went from one dogma to another dogma. You think you got freed up of religion and evangelicalism in the Western church or what have you. But what you really did is you just swapped out dogmas, fam. You went from, ah, I don't like Western Christianity. Ah, okay, boom. And now I'm going to create this whole new thing on these other solid, like, like firm dogmatic beliefs dunking on Christianity. And that's not helpful. If we're going to approach these things, be humble, have have reasonable conversations, but miss me with I sat here and helped build a system that I benefited from that excluded others who are still walking with Jesus. And now I'm going to spend the next couple decades of my life trying to discredit the very system with new dogmas that I've built. That's not humble and that's not respectful and that's not honorable, fam. I, 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 I listened to Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yes, I listened to non-Christians. And one of the things he said that was so interesting is when people ask him, am I an atheist? He said, it doesn't make no sense for me to answer that question. He said, he said, he said if I don't play golf, that's not a community of non-golf players. We just don't play golf. So no, I'm not an atheist because an atheist is, tends to be an anti-theist. I'm not a, a, a somebody that's trying to disrupt or, 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 or dismantle other people's view of deity. He said, why would there be, a, right? Why would there be a whole nother group? It's like, it doesn't make any sense to me. And that's what I see with some of this stuff, man, as I, as I see folks that, that, that are so firm one minute to the point where they're willing to send shots at everybody. These are the most common people that are sending shots my way on YouTube. It's the thousand point presuppositional covenantal. I have all the answers, right? <laughs> it's, it's, it's those folks, right? And what happens is you pull on one thread. The whole thing, the whole thing collapses, right? And I'm sitting there telling you, look, man, I ain't got all the answers. Wrath of God? Yeah, that's a hard one. Hell? Ah, man, that's tough. 
some hard stuff in there. But I have faith that Jesus is who he said he was. I have Jesus, I have faith that Jesus lived the life that I couldn't live, died the death I should have died. And by the way, how I treat people, how I treat people doesn't change based on how they sin differently. I'm still called to love my neighbor as myself. I'm still called to treat people with dignity, honor, and respect. Right? That's it. There's no good guys and bad guys in the Christian worldview. There isn't. There's just Jesus and everybody else. There's the king and everybody else. And, and, and here's the thing. When I then sit down with brothers and I have that conversation, they go, I, I, like, I like that. I like that. That's cool. Well, maybe we attached a bunch of things to that that weren't necessary to actually be a functioning Orthodox Christian. And maybe that, that is where the breakdown, that is where the schema happened. So we attached a bunch of other things to it. And then you, you've discovered some of these things are that cohesive and congruent, right? And so those are my thoughts on this thing, man. And again, um, some of this stuff I'm really passionate about. Some of this stuff I'm really passionate about because it impacted people I'm close to in a negative way. The culture of Christian hip hop. Yeah, it did. And some of this stuff... Like, man, let's talk about it. Let's unpack it. Let's dive deep, right? But, 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 but again, in your pursuit of, if there's one thing you hear from this whole conversation, make sure your faith is built on all of those. That you have a, you have a, 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 a propositional explicit knowledge of, of, of God and the scriptures and the history. Yeah, we need that. But that it would take root and you would apply it. And that ultimately you would actually press into an intimacy with God, that you wouldn't be ashamed to cry or ashamed to experience him emotionally or ashamed to ask hard questions or ashamed to, to get on your face and, and, and pray or ashamed to hear from God or ashamed to experience God in a way that may seem unorthodox. I'm not talking about saliva anointing, <laughs> you know, but, but with some, some of us get so rigid that we don't ever allow that ladder experimental part of our relationship with God, that it is, it is all the above. It's propositional, it's procedural, it's experimental. And if you build, if you build your house on one of these without balancing out the rest of them, it's, 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 it's not going to go well. It's not going to go well. And by the way, by the way, I don't, this isn't a shot at Calvinist or academic folks. I, I like that kind of stuff. I, I enjoy the academic side. I just know that in my life, I've always did there's, there's 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 always been a mystery to God. There's always been a mystery. There's always been a I don't know. I don't understand everything. I don't have all the answers. God God will just he'll just do things. Not not just through the scriptures. Yes, he uses primarily the scriptures, but he'll just do things. Miraculous things. They don't make sense on paper. Right, I experience those things regularly, and so I think if we keep that at the forefront and being willing to go wherever God wants us to go, experience whatever God wants us to experience, it will it will allow us to to have a faith that sustains when life throws its curveballs, when we have to go through trauma, when we have to go through tough questions, right? And and so hopefully this this is encouraging to you guys, man. This is no knock at anybody in particular. Um, but but uh, I, I keep seeing this pattern, and I feel like there's a there's an archetype, there's an avatar that I'm seeing here. Guys, hear me loud and clear, man. When I have this conversation, 
and we talk about these things, and I talk about these things with my non-believing friends, and we and we talk about just just Jesus. They go, man, that's that's dope. Jesus is fire. It's all the other baggage. <laughs> it's all the other baggage. Ah, Bible literal, figurative, uh, Genesis six day account. It's a literal twenty four hours. Ah, this, you know what I mean? It's like all this other stuff, and they're like, fam, I don't know. This is hard. Some of this stuff is hard. I'm like, I hear you. I hear you, and, he, and, he, and even and even if I have to take harsh stance with certain people, that still doesn't change how I treat them. Still, de- you regardless on how you feel about any particular sin under the sun, you're still called to love people. You're still called to do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. You're still called to exemplify Jesus who, who came and lived the life we couldn't live, died the death we should have died, y- utilizing the ultimate example and the ultimate sacrifice. Why? So that... We can experience not just the afterlife because there is an afterlife. I believe in a literal uh, uh, new heaven, a new earth that's coming. But I also believe that God wants to bring a piece of heaven to earth. And I believe he wants to use us Christians to do that. Followers of this, this Yahshua, this historical figure that, 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 that makes is, is so unique from any other, any other figure that we've seen throughout history. Like just get get in this, right? I'm, this is like this is like the actual version. It's called the One Year Bible. You, the, the version's on the app. I'm going through it again. I've done this seven times. This is this right here is probably one of the best things I've done for my faith. Just getting just getting in them scriptures, man, and seeing the narrative of Jesus weaved in through the Old and New Testament, seeing foreshadowings of Jesus from from Joseph to David to Moses, and you keep seeing the similar story reoccurring, always pointing pointing forward to the coming of the logos of God to to take on the the, the sin of the world in in a way that no other religious figure deals with these things. It's 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 the greatest story ever told, except it's true. And that's beautiful. So anyway, guys, those are my thoughts. Let me know what y'all think. Kingstream Entertainment. Bruce Lawn. Yo, thank you so much for making it to the end of this video. If you found it valuable, check out some of the links in the description, including a master, my Devo free course, a master, my niche course, if you're looking to get into the Christian YouTube space, and check out some of these other videos recommended from YouTube, from me and you to YouTube, from me and YouTube to you. <laughs> All right. Love you guys. Peace.